This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to Garden of Sound, I'm your host Ian Turner. It's a huge day for Garden of Sound, so we've got one of the founding members of Salmonella Dub on the show, it's Andrew Penman. Not only that, Andrew's been in the studio in Otatahi getting material ready for a brand new release, and he's been kind enough to let me play a brand new track today called Shaping Ground, featuring Nino Birch from Beat Rhythm Fashion. Also, we're about four days out from Garden of Sound Live, which is happening at Littleton Records this coming Tuesday, the 31st of July. Part of the ethos behind Garden of Sound is music development, and instrumental in that, the excuse the pun, is helping young people get out and play in front of crowds that aren't just their friends and families. Garden of Sound Live is only $8 in advance. You'll get to hear three awesome bands, R3, Class Disruption, and Rockwest ZM People's Choice winner Better Than Bacon. You can book your tickets either from eventbrite.com, just search for Garden of Sound, or head along to the Garden of Sound website, that's gardenofsound.nz, and click the Garden of Sound Live banner on the front page to buy tickets. Right. He helped found Salmonella Dub over 25 years ago. He's a stunningly well-rounded individual with a wealth of world knowledge. He loves Aotearoa, especially the mainland, and he's incredibly supportive of his fellow musicians. He's soon to release a new album and a massive 25th anniversary vinyl box set. This is the one and only Andrew Penman. Andrew, what's the first memory of music in your life? Um... I got this funny story, I think I might have been about seven or eight, and playing pedal tennis at Roydvale Primary School at lunchtime, on the school courts, and um, all these girls come running out of a classroom and go, oh, Elvis Presley's dead! And I'm going, who's Elvis Presley? I, I I had no idea. My parents were pretty sheltered at that time, I didn't have a, any much, well, no influence of contemporary music. Oh, I do remember playing with air guitar with uh, tennis rackets to basically rollers, but that was probably more like when I was about eleven. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, we didn't really listen to contemporary music at all. Um, I was quite old by the time we got. I think I was about ten before we got a TV even. But um, and my parents' record collection. The only things I can remember of worth to listen to were um, Bridge Over Troubled Water, Simon and Garfunkel. Uh, marginally the. Um, Jesus Christ Superstar record because it was kind of psychedelic and then um, Victor Borg the Russian piano comedian who's I actually quite liked he was funny So when did you uh, pick up a musical instrument for real? Uh, I couldn't pick it up it was a piano mum made me go down the road to this old spinster who used to whack me across the knuckles with a ruler for going out of time with my chromatic scales so I had about oh, I don't know eight years background with classical piano which um, as a Boy, I just you know tire kicked the whole time. Um, don't re- well, I do regret parts. Of it. I was going to say I don't regret it, but um, I was forced to play uh, practice after school every day for half an hour before I could go out and play with my mates. So that was torture. Um, and I'd sit at the piano and just look at it, going, "Who, who invented this eight-note octave? I mean, what's the point? Surely, you know, what about all the other notes in between? And of course, at that time, I didn't know there's an eastern scale at all. But I just started making weird scales up and um. By the time I got to grade six, this is through Trinity School of Music, I thought I had it sussed. I would have been about 14, 15. And my piano teacher quit on me because um, apparently I was too stressful. I'd mastered the art of passing 
with one mark to spare. Just enough. Just enough. That's all you need. Apart from music, was there anything else in your life? Any other studies that you, you know, enjoyed? Absolutely. Um, um, I went through Canterbury University, and I think the most influential... I did a real mixed bag. Um, most influential thing was New Zealand literature. I did a course, um, and at that time, Kerry Hume was writing residence. So that was an awesome experience. She would come into our lectures, she'd smoke a pipe and talk, um, and... That kind of um, founded my passion for creating an eighty-year-old voice because, you know, we were studying Janet Frame and um, uh, you know Frank Sargent and, and discussing that whole um, development of, of a culture and and and, crea- and you know crafting and becoming mature in your own voice. And um, I think you know it was obvious that literature had achieved that probably about the fifties or sixties. Um, Janet Frame being a point in case. Um, but music, I think, was only just starting to do that when I was at university, probably, um, you know, off the back of Flying Nun, so late 70s, you know. And um, that really has founded my passion for culture, I guess, and, and expressing that through music. Okay, so you're, you're influenced by nature and the land. Absolutely, yeah. On top of that, um, New Zealand, I also, I mean, I did religious studies, I did, um, I did quantum physics I did I was the first boy to well bloke in the feminist studies intake for men and quickly learned to shut up um and actually I got my highest grade from feminist studies um and but yeah geography I did a BSc in geography and um at that time I was thinking I'd go out into landscaping and do uh, kind of landscape design but never happened because I managed to graduate for the 87 share market crash so went back and did a I just bummed around at university and organised events, actually. Uh, was on the exec for a couple of years. But um, the geography thing has been, yeah, our Aotearoa landscape is probably one of my biggest influences. And you might kind of see that through our artwork and music. Are there any particular Salmonella dub tracks you can think of? That well, one that sums that up, uh, Plate Tectonics, Farty Boom. We wrote that in 2001, and that would be, oh, that's, well, I don't know, 14 years after I graduated with a BSc in Geography. But, um, yeah, we studied everything from uh, climatology to tectonic plates. Um, I'm a, you know, a big uh, uh, believer in the, uh, well, it's the, uh, the influence of the moon on our atmosphere and uh, weather patterns. Um, and, of course, have a keen uh, understanding of how our landscapes have been formed. And um, plate tectonics, farty boom. At the time we were writing that, the track felt... The base felt like earthquakes, and you know, I said, "Well, I'd love." And this is a bit rude now. I think about it. Love to experience an earthquake and body surf down the middle of Manchester Street. Um, I wasn't actually in Christchurch for the uh, quakes, so God bless everyone. Um, I was here for many of the afterquakes. My wife and boy were here for the June ones, driving down Papanui Road back to Kaikoura. Um, so yeah, at the time that was a cheeky aside, but that's where that track came from, and um. I don't claim to be able to predict the future, but we all know they're going to come, you know, just like the next Ice Age. Another 40 years, we'll be frozen again. Any other Salmonella dub tracks you'd Absolutely, like to play um, today? Yeah, um, one, of, one that really um, reflects the influence of nature and our, you know, our beautiful Aotearoa landscape, Tui dub. And backstory to that, my nana um, has a batch in Lake Rotoweedy. She's passed away. She's left it to the family. God bless her. Um, and I spent a lot of time there as a... Um, young and with Nana and Tui's are amazing birds. I mean, 
they were trained by Kamatawa back in the day to speak, um, I don't know if you realise, but they were trained to speak phrases, not just words. They could say up to 50 different phrases. And Kamata would keep a tui on his porch in a cage, um, and often as a, as a watchdog. And um, a tui could actually identify who was coming down the track, whether they're a friend or foe, and they'd alert the Kamata, put your cooking pot on, there's a friend coming, or get your tie hair out, it's an enemy. It's amazing. Mm.
This is the Garden of Sound interview with Andrew Penman on Plains FM 96.9. Andrew, what was the first gig you paid some money to attend? Oh, um, I think it would have been, actually, it was, I was underage, I shouldn't have been there, but it was um, snuck into the Star and Garter, um, Young Christchurch Band at the time, they were amazing, the Triffids. Uh, this would have been about 85, I might have been around 15 or 16. But the Triffids uh, then became formed into the Hemoglobins, I think. But Ben Howe was the bass player. Um, um, and, um, sorry, Mark Howe, Ben Staples. I can't, no, I can't remember the names now. No, it was Ben Howe, bass player. He was amazing. Um, slap bass player. And they were like an alternative funk band, um, really progressive for Christchurch at the time. Um, steel drums or timbales, bass, funk guitar, funk drums, um, kind of punk funk, sort of in that screaming memes. Oh, I wouldn't even say that, but um, yeah, that would have been my first punk gig. And that influenced you how? Um, well, through that time, I was you know quite obsessed with the New Zealand music scene and Christchurch music scene. Rob White had a column in the Star, which I read religiously, and um, it was really about um, how to get on that stage. Yeah. Uh, learning opportunities through all of the gigs you've done um, across the across the years. Yeah, make sure you check what the water is in the bottle that's sitting at the back of the stage. Um, this is a funny one. Uh, playing a festival at Orinoco, I think it was. Grabbed a bottle of water backstage thinking, oh, because I was dry as, and it turned out to be liquid carbon dioxide for the smoke machine. So don't ever do that. Yeah, I... I we were a three-piece three piece back then, and Selman and I were a two-piece for two tracks while I went and spewed my ring out out back. But um, No lasting effects on that? No, no, no. It's, yeah. um, my best piece of advice would be keep your feet on the ground, stay at home. Um, ideally, learn how to self-manage. Um, too many artists, I think, get led astray by you know, managers to, like to take 20% or 20% of the gross. And um, no disrespect to the Jeffers up north, but there's so many artists coming out of, you know, particularly out of Auckland being uh, managed. If you don't learn how to manage yourself in this country at small, then you're probably not worth doing uh, anything with it. It's kind of, that's my cheeky side to many artists, you know. Um, but, yeah, learn the art of your craft and keep your feet on the ground. Don't expect to make a full-time career out of music. Um, do it for the love, you know, for passion. Have you got a favourite piece of music or something that you uh, you remember from back in the day, something which has stuck with you all these years? Mm, um, oh, yeah, Nag 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 by Cabaret Voltaire. Probably one of the, the reason for that is Cabaret Voltaire were the first the band, the first record I ever bought. I was 14, had a paper run. And I remember, I, you know, save up over a few weeks, you get the bus into town to the record joint in the square by Warners. And it was a wonderful experience, you know, 14, 15-year-old. Um, you'd spend two hours in the air going through all the record bins, chatting with people. It was a whole, I mean, shame that music's gone the way it has, you know, retail-wise. But um, it was a social experience, and you'd come home with a big piece of vinyl, all the artwork, and, um, yeah, annoyed Dad with it. So I bought Cabaret Voltaire's album, Voice of America. That was the first record I ever bought. Um, and it was pretty out there, pretty um, progressive and alternative. Nag 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 actually came out before that, and I discovered it a bit later, but it was a really good track for an annoying mum when she put the washing out.
You're listening to the Garden of Sound interview with Andrew Penman. Before we continue the interview, I'd just like to remind you that the very first Garden of Sound live gig is happening this Tuesday night at Littleton Records. Tickets are available from eventbrite.com or gardenofsound.nz. It's going to be an amazing night showcasing some unbelievable young talent from Christchurch. I just want to play you a few snippets from a couple of the acts who are performing next Tuesday. We've got R3, who are three-piece from Papanui High School. And for something a lot more rocky, we've got Class Disruption, who are made up of students from Burnside High School and Chisnell Wood Intermediate. That's just a taste of what's on offer next Tuesday night at Littleton Records, and you're in for a real treat when you hear the headliners better than bacon. So get your tickets as soon as the program finishes, either from the link on the Garden of Sound website, that's gardenofsound.nz, or search for Garden of Sound at eventbrite.com. This is the Garden of Sound interview with Andrew Penman on Plains FM 96.9. Andrew, uh, describe your music-making process, how it comes out of your head, out into the real world. Um, I like to take a punk ethic to it, and it's like one take is, well, the first take's always the best. Um, we have had a um, very open um, approach to re- recording music. We've all played in bands together before. Well, Dave, Mark and I, you know, the originators of Salmonella Dub, had bands together before Cell Dub, uh, Golf Course Alligators, Dave and Mark had 147 Swordfish, Dave and I had another one called Manolito's Dream State, um, and um, what we, I think with our co-papa with Salmonella Dub was, um, build the music from the foundations up, so the rhythm beads come first. Um, we don't come to the table with a finished song, more about, okay, getting a, a kick-ass funky, you know, or heavy rhythm bed happening, uh, which will start with um, often spinning a record or um, uh, just laying down a jam with drums, bass and guitar, which is what we've been doing this week, just uh, going back to the old school, off the grid. Um, well, actually, no, I'm lying. Uh, this, yeah, unfortunately, there is a grid these days. Um, but yeah, actually playing live together okay. and then cutting you know, something that's, you know, cutting a 16-bar um, jam out of a you know, long live session that's actually working and then building something from that. Where were you recording in the old days in Christchurch? Ah, our first recordings, um, actually going back to other bands, of course, would have been at, um, at um, Night Shift Studios with um, Arnie. Uh, did a few there, but um, then with, I did the first vinyl I did was in 1988 um, with my band Piehead and the Rhubarb Collective, and that was... a uh, a mixed job with Rob Mays and Mike Hodgson from Pitch Black. So that was all, back then we were recording on tape, onto four track, reel to reel, test cam. Um, and of course, that's how Salmonella Dub started their first two albums. So you'd actually write the songs 
or tracks. I, should, I don't like calling them songs. Um, in the studio, well, sorry, in the practice room. So yeah, you spent a year um, playing together um, and mastering an arrangement. So it was pretty much finished, and you played out live, and then you record in real time. And there was no grid or clicks back then. Um, so all of those recordings, like the first album, Dub for Straits, um, Dub Tom Foolery, they are all recorded on tape off the grid. Um, and the first recording we did was at Bob Burnett's Flying Magic Magic Carpet Studio, which is now where uh, the brewery is, the tannery. So upstairs, he had a wee studio up there, and that was actually on eight track, which was um, our first forays into having multi tracks, really. So still recording live, you know, it'd be drums, bass, guitar, playing the whole bed live, uh, no no click, no grid, um, and then you might overdub a, um, a vocal or a, another part, but that was about it. So just tell me, uh, T, what's the difference between Salmonella Dub and Salmonella Dub sound system? Um, well, Salmonella, Salmonella Dub is the live band, and that's, of course, um, founded by Dave and I with Mark in 92. And, um, you know, we played as a three-piece for a couple of years. Although we did have a fourth member, and that was my old cassette deck, which, you know, we wanted a sampler, but um, we couldn't afford one, and, you know, probably wouldn't have been able to work out the manual on how to work it back then. Um, so I just hot-wired an old cassette deck with a guitar on-off pedal um, to the motor, and Mark and I found a box of old Mutant Ninja Turtle tapes, which were metal tapes, and a dumpster at the back of Echo, Echo Records late one night. And that was our tape stop. We'd stay up late at night, sampling everything we could find from um, stuff off video, Cheech and Chong, um, the Quran, we didn't even realise it was the Quran, but um, from Power Squats, we got in big trouble for that. Um, stuff off TV, and it was like in real time, so you'd actually sample the same voice over and over again on the tape, and other bits in between, and then you turn it on and off with your foot on stage. So the sound system, of course, started um, um, a bit later on. So Salmon and I dub, 93 to 94 were three-piece. Then we got Pete and Conan joined on horns, and about 96, Tiki came along as our sound engineer for um, a bit. And around that time, we, you know, we were all DJing. So um, I had a DJ named Clubfoot, which involved um, just one turntable, um, a 58 microphone, which I had on the floor, and you just, um, you know, you keep the beat going with your foot between turning the record over, so you'd um, keep, yeah, banging on the floor. Um, so around about 98, 99, I, I booked a tour for Pitch Black for their album, um, and we put the Salmon Ally Dub sound system together as support, because it was um, their tour. And it kind of started there, and it was more... Um, a bit messy back then, Tiki did a bit of emceeing sometimes. Um, but by mid-2000s, I was doing it more full-time with Asterix, Mighty Asterix, and then started bringing in our horn section. So for me, the sound system is um, me representing our full back catalogue, particularly stuff that the band won't play live or um, can't fit into our set, but it's more of a dance floor mix. You know, we can play up to three hours, it's dropping our big horn lines live with Asterix singing, emceeing over the top of the plethora of remixes we've got right back to, you know, Dread Zone and Groove Corp from um, the early 2000s to uh, more recent ones coming through from Dub Effects and um, the likes of DJ Digital and others. So um, it kind of, um, they complement each other. 
the sound system is kind of um, uh, the club version, and the band is the full organic live thing. Tell you what, though, it's a damn sight easier just walking into a, a run of shows. I've just come, come back from Aussie doing um, some sound system shows, did a beat reef festival up in Cairns, and then Brunswick Heads. Um, yeah, for me, because I, I, you know, I manage the band as well as um, playing it, and there's a lot of work. So the sound system's a bit of a holiday for me because I'm, I just have to pack my, my laptop and a, you know, a couple of USB sticks and a little bag of vinyl, and I'm off. So you've been in the studio very recently. Is there, mm. uh, is there something that we can? Uh... Yeah, we've been in the studio here in Otutahi since Wednesday. It's um, mid July. Um, we started this process this time last year. Um, and we're just about finished arranging uh, the new album, which is going to be epic. It's about 14 or 15 tracks. Some are climbing to, you know, we'll be challenging Fat Freddy's on their status. I think 12 minutes a few of them. But, um, yeah, so the process has involved um, about three sessions of uh, live takes, but uh, we've got Harry from Solware helping out with engineering and arranging. And, um, we have the pleasure of being able to drop a new track for you today, Shaping Ground, which is another one that we've penned with um, Nino Birch, who was from New Zealand band uh, Beat Rhythm Fashion. They were the, the group of our choice to represent a song of us when we were uh, kindly asked to be inducted to the music, well, oh, what's it called, the Hall of Fame, um, which, um, of course, we ended up turning down. So, yeah, um, Shaping Ground pretty much sums that up. Um, and... Yeah, enjoy it. How long is a ball of string? How the hell do we stop this thing? How now says the holy cow? How come we get? To 
This is the Gardner Sound interview with Andrew Penman on Plains FM 96.9. Andrew, uh, just before that awesome new track, uh, you talked about turning down the, uh, the the Hall of Fame induction. What's the what's the story there? Yeah, it was all a bit awkward. Um, I didn't really want to do it in the first place, but Mum said accept it graciously, and I thought, oh, God, I'll, I'll, you've got to do what Mum says. Um, so I did, and, you know, we went through the process for about two months with uh, the recorded music industry people. Um, it was going to be a lot of work. Um, and just for anyone with a glad eye out there, we don't get paid for that kind of thing. Um, so I would have had to spend a, you know, a week or more in Auckland promoting the, the awards and putting together our, our history at that point. Um, so, yeah, no, usual, um, my band called me uh, Savage. Um, and usual Savage style, I ended up saying no. Um, and the backstory there, we were asked to choose an artist to represent us playing a song. And Dave and I had a long chat, and our, our wish list was either The Clean 
or beat rhythm fashion. And at that point, the clean were about to turn down the, the awards for the third time. They'd um they had been off uh, asked to step up for the April one, songwriters one. And um so I'd actually been been talking with D- David Kilgore. I hadn't realised at that time. They'd turned the the offer down twice, um, for good reason. Anyway, um it turned out that the music awards people, the recorded music industry people came back and said, well, actually, our producers of the show don't know who Beat Rhythm Fashion are, and they don't think it's appropriate for the demographic, at which point I kind of... A light bulb went on, I'm like, that's right. It's not really a musical awards. It's um, the Vodafone TV3 uh, New Zealand uh, Hollywood uh, the Red Carpet show. So I just said, no, if you can't accept our choice of an artist that uh, have influenced us and respect that, then we're not coming. You're in a very fortunate position that you've written some amazing. You're not going to call me um, a prima donna like like well. Uh... <laughs> Would you say you're one out of the box? Are you the one percent? You're the point five percent that's that's done well. I mean, how... no, 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 no. Everyone's done well. I mean, and I don't like measuring things, um, particularly when it comes to creativity. That's one of my gripes with um, you know, the industry as such, and yeah, you know, I mean, APRA song competition. What's that about? I mean, think about it. The history of publishing, which is what they're representing, started with the likes of Beethoven, who um, wrote music, but publishing started with the publishing of sheet music um, so that people could play other people's music. Um, And for me, music is an art form and it's about creativity. And who dares to say that one thing's better than another? How do you judge something that's an artist's expression. So, I mean, for many years we were asked to be on the, the panel of judges for the music awards, um, oh, and for um, APRA song composition or whatever it is. And it's like, well, I respect my mates. I'm not going to say one song's better than another. In fact, I don't even like the term song. Music is about writing um, or creating and expressing something artistically. And um, it doesn't need to be lowered to that kind of... Um, like, uh, I guess, commerciality. I mean, the Music Awards, of course, uh, if you're not aware, isn't necessarily about what's best. It's about who sold the most. Okay. And for me, when when we turned down the Music Awards, I mean, I was really in a... You know, I beat myself up about it for about a month, but it was like, well, we're only 25. Um, getting a Legacy Award at this point in our um, vision of what we're doing is like a kiss of death. We've only written half the story. We've got another, well, I don't know, at least 25 years to go. So, um, you know, I'll put it out there. We would happily accept the uh, a, a Legacy Award in 2043 for our 50th. Talking about musical goals and fantasies and potential things, is there uh, anything else you want to achieve in the next 25 years, either as Andrew Penman or with someone a la dub or as an unyet-heard entity? Um. Yeah, I've I've always had a passion for helping and creating a community. So, you know, through all those years of big touring, um, we had um, Dub Conspiracy running, which was, um, you know, we kind of um, took out a bunch of mates and uh, gave them a, well, introduced them to our audience that we'd developed in Australia and other places. So um, did a wee run and, oh, it's after one of the Kaikoura Roots festivals, but uh, took Fat Freddy's Drop, Shapeshifter, Cora, uh, Cornerstone Roots, who else was there? Bud Spells, uh, 
Concord Dawn ourselves. I don't know, there's about um, 70 of us on the road around Australia. Um, and I'm kind of looking at starting to do that sort of thing again. We've, um, you know, with the Kaikoura Roots Festival, that was such a rewarding creative process. It was kind of, um, for me, it was like a, um, a gift back to all the artists that were helping us by supporting us on tours, like, you know, taking out bands like um, Fat Freddy's around Australia or, um, um, I remember, Black Seas, they were kind of um, one of the first groups that we took around the country. Um, and it'd be nice to actually do, and, you know, help facilitate a whole new genre again. It's kind of, I think, you know, I think we're ready for it. The R&B, barbecue, blues, reggae that we've got going on now needs a good shift, I think. Andrew, it's been amazing talking to you today, mm. obviously, and I'm really looking forward to the, uh, to the to the to the next few my, years. Excuse my cold. Oh, oh, you sound fabulous. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Very rock and roll. Are there are a couple of tracks uh, that you'd like to take us out with today. Yeah, um, just looking at our catalogue, which um, you know, we I think we're about you know, climbing up to 200 tracks written over the last 25 years. Um, so back in '93, '94. On the first album, Orbital, Yasmin, Dub, um, it kind of sets the tone for where we were coming from um, back then. And um, it's kind of a good, deep, um, heavy thinking dub track with a nice sample in it. Um, Pete Wood uh, drops a lovely vocal. We were all living um, on Edgeware Road at the time, so there's a reference there to um, 151, which is the... The house number on Edgeware Road where we were rehearsing. We don't that. do blue plaques here in the in New Zealand, do you? You know, like <laughs> this band lived yeah. here. Yeah, well, the thing is, those houses don't stand anymore. So, so unfortunately, um, and um, another track, kind of uh, putting a fence post as where we're at at the moment, moving forward. Um, Searching for the sun, which uh, we released beginning of last year. Uh, David Harrow, who's worked with us and help develop and craft um, kind of our direction and starting with THC Winter in the mid-90s, um, produced that, and it's kind of an example of uh, some of the sounds that we're working on at the moment and more the heavy dub end of it, and also, uh, once again, our co-papa around the environment. Um, for the rain, that's the kind of the hook that Dave penned. Um, Dave, drummer Dave, of course, is, um, does all our big, heavy lead vocal hooks, and... Um, and then there's a you know call and answer searching for the sun, for the rain searching for the sun. It's like um, you know, I've total um respect for you know the fact that we have an issue with global warming and we need to do things about it. But then um the juxtaposition is of course we all know, um like when it rains the sun will come out again. Um, and this is not putting down the co-papa of uh, carbon emissions which are horrendous. But we all know that uh, there will be another ice age and that this. 30,000 years. There's a reason for that moon being up there. It was a you know, pretty big meteorite that knocked us off our axis. So yeah, um, juxtaposition. Rain, sun, you know, ice age, global warming. Yin-yang, so to say. Music specifically recorded for its pleasurable effects upon your mind, body, and spirit.
Thank you so much for joining me today. This week's guest was Andrew Penman, one of the founding members of Salmonella Dub. Available for pre-order now is the limited edition Salmonella Dub 25th Anniversary Vinyl Box Set. It comes in an exclusive vertical deluxe flat box. There's numbered and signed art limited to 300. There's 10 12-inch vinyl albums, a 40-page pictorial book, plus you'll get free downloads of commercial greats, Freak Controller 20-pack, Feel the Seasons Change Live with the NZSO, and Mercy, that's the One Drop East Remixes and Outtakes album. Just head along to gardenofsound.nz right now, click on Andrew's photo on the front page, find out more about how you can pre-order that amazing deluxe box set. If you're a Salmonella Dub fan, or someone in your life is, then this is going to be the perfect present to find under the Christmas tree this year. And please do get your tickets to Garden of Sound Live before they sell out. It's happening Tuesday the 31st of July at Littleton Records. It's next Tuesday. The final band appearing on the night is Better Than Bacon. They're into the final 30 of this year's National Smoke Free Rock Quiz competition and they're simply amazing to see live. Tickets for Garden of Sound Live are available right now for only $8 in advance by searching Garden of Sound on eventbrite.com or clicking the link on the Garden of Sound webpage. That's gardenofsound.nz. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I'm Ian Turner and this has been Garden of Sound.